Hey guys, this is Fatal Tales. My name's Katie. And I'm Azra. Katie <laughs> totally just forgot to introduce the case and sat there for like 30 seconds waiting for me to just start talking about the case. Azra's first to talk this time, so <laughs> it's not my fault. That's all I have to say. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think this week has had like a horrible toll on your mental health. I think that's just what it is. You know, I think that's valid. There were literal white supremacists and confederate flags in the capitol building this week, so I think I deserve to have a little bit of mental toll on that. You definitely do. I do not blame you. Not even a little bit. This week has been shit because we recorded our Tiny Tales that came out on Saturday before 2021 went to shit. So all our hopes for 2021 have officially been dashed, but it's all right. It's all right. We will make it through. I'm just hoping no more white supremacists show up at the fucking capital of the country. That'd be cool. Anyways, America's a fucking mess, but we're just gonna get your minds off of it by telling you more about other ways that America's a mess, by telling you about the Cleveland Elementary School shooting. So hopefully we can get your mind off today's current mess and tell you about a mess that happened back in the 1970s. So we're going to start by telling you about a girl named Brenda Ann Spencer. Now, Brenda Ann Spencer, at the time of the shooting, was 16 years old. She was always described by others as a problem child. She was a drug abuser and was said to have a very violent streak. Friends of hers said that she was nice, but some people didn't like her because she talked about killing a lot. And she often told her friends that she was stoned on LSD and on marijuana. She also told her friends a lot that she was going to do something to get herself on TV. She also repeatedly broke windows at said Cleveland Elementary School with her BB gun, which, like I said, she was only 16 years old. So doing this to an elementary school is pretty bad. And not to mention just kind of bizarre behavior, like what's the motivation behind breaking windows at an elementary school? Right. Other than to just like be violent for no reason to get like energy out. I really, I don't know. I have no idea. At school, Brenda got in trouble for being a truant and for not doing her work. She was described as a very lonely girl with a fascination with guns. Now, Brenda did feel as though no one cared about her. Obviously, she's exhibiting pretty problematic signs, like very violent, on drugs, very lonely, not doing her schoolwork, but nobody's really doing much to help her, so she didn't really feel like anybody cared about her, which is kind of understandable when you're 16 years old. Like, if you're showing all those signs but nobody's doing much to help you, you would feel like nobody really cares about you, I think. Definitely. I mean, I think that this case is kind of a case where, again, the system kind of failed in terms of there was clearly a lot going on with her. She clearly was not doing well. 
and none of her teachers, none of her peers really seem to notice or do much to stop anything from happening. And she does say some very cryptic things that lead you to believe that perhaps she's gonna do something bad. Exactly. It's pretty tragic, in my opinion. Now, like we mentioned, this case is the shooting of the Cleveland Elementary School. So, on January 29th, 1979. This was the morning of the shooting. And according to Brenda, the morning of the shooting, she began to drink alcohol and then took her epilepsy medication, Tegretol. She then, through her bedroom window, shot at Grover Cleveland Elementary School in San Diego at 8.30 a.m. She used a 22 caliber rifle she had gotten the rifle and scope from her dad that Christmas just over a month ago. As far as it being a 22, this is actually kind of a good thing in terms of if she had had a bigger round, she would have done more damage. So a 22 is like the smallest bullet possible. It barely kicks any more than a BB gun does. It's very, very small. It's really not something that you'd use for hunting. It's really not something that you would use for self-defense round. It's just kind of a like target shooting round more than anything else. So she could have killed a lot more people and probably would have killed a lot more people if the round that she had had was bigger and the gun that she'd had was more deadly. Right. And we'll see later like how lucky some people did end up getting because this is a 22 caliber round instead of a bigger one because obviously people did die in this situation and that's awful and the fact that a shooting ever even did occur is ridiculous it's a tragedy but some people got crazy crazy lucky in this situation like we'll talk about later on in the episode definitely yeah it it was better than it could have been now She started shooting at the kids that were standing outside of the school grounds waiting to be let into the school. There were kids that were crying, screaming, and falling all over the place, and there were popping sounds, kind of like fireworks, that were alerting the teachers and the staff inside the school to what was going on. They didn't know where the shots were coming from, but the principal and a few teachers did run out to try and save the kids. There was kind of just a lot of chaos. It went from a regular school morning with kids playing to a chaotic and tragic scene. Now, over the course of her attack, Brenda injured eight kids. I just wanted to say, like, I can't imagine how horrifying that would be, like, when you're, like, a little kid, like, elementary school, eight or nine years old, just heading into school, talking with your friends, playing with your friends, you know, like, before school, I remember playing tag with my friends, and then just all of a sudden, like, you're getting shot at, you know? You're so young, you probably don't even know what's happening. Exactly. You don't even know what happened. What's happening until like maybe one of your friends gets shot or like somebody gets hurt, like somebody around you gets hurt or you get hurt. That just must be the most confusing, disorienting, horrifying thing in the goddamn world for a little kid to ex- experience cuz these are little kids like they're fucking babies. Yeah, this is an elementary school, and on top of that, she's not even at the school. She's across the street, so there's no warning. It's not like she's, like, present, not like they can see her. She's shooting from her house, so right. nobody knows what's happening until kids are injured and falling over and screaming. 
Now, one kid, Charles Cam Miller, believes that Brenda targeted him specifically because he was wearing a blue down jacket and blue was her favorite color. She also specifically seemed to be targeting kids in down jackets because she later said that she, quote, liked seeing the feathers fly when she shot them. Now, this is the first of many fucking disturbing things that Brenda says. I just, the things that she says are chilling. She likes seeing the feathers fly when she shoots little kids. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's so so gross. gross. It's just beyond. So, unfortunately, two people ended up dying in the shooting. One was the principal of the school. Burton Rag was killed trying to get kids into the school. So he was trying to help injured kids into the school, carry them in. He was 53 years old. And when Brenda shot him, the bullet hit his aorta. So... You know, pretty much once a bullet hits your aorta, you're done, especially if you don't get medical help almost immediately. It's really fucking sad because he was helping these kids, he was trying to save them, and she shoots him. Now, the head custodian of the school, Michael Sukar, was also killed, attempting to help the principal who had just been shot. He was 56 years old. After Principal Burton was shot, Michael, the custodian, ran out of the school in an attempt to assist Burton. So the custodian basically ran out with a blanket to put over Burton, basically to put over him so that he wouldn't go into shock. But Brenda saw this and shot him as well, and she shot him multiple times. The really tragic thing is that apparently Burton and Michael didn't even get along that well. But the second Burton was shot, Michael did not hesitate to run out and help him. People say it is because of his past military training that he was just willing to risk everything to help his, like, fellow soldier. Or maybe he's just, like, a really fucking great person. I don't know, but unfortunately he ended up dying along with the principal. I think that's the bottom line is, ultimately, military training or not, this is a hero someone who's going out to save people to protect people to help them and ended up dying at the hands of a sadistic and evil person (laughs) these are both heroes and yeah both heroes i both ended up unfortunately dying in this really tragic shooting now brenda claimed later that she had the custodian michael because he was making it harder for her to shoot the kids she said that he was just making it quote more difficult she didn't think about his life she didn't think about what he was doing she was just like oh he's in my fucking way so i'm just gonna kill him you know like he's in my way i can't kill enough kids so i'll just kill him too i hate this i hate it i hate it now another police officer was critically injured he was shot in the neck But thankfully, he survived. Her multiple shots at moving targets were incredibly accurate. So she was a great shot, and she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly who she was intending to shoot at. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she hit eight people, or eight kids, injured eight kids, and killed two adults, and then also injured another police officer, she clearly was if not aiming, getting very lucky, and certainly not aiming away from 
anyone. Right. Now, the shooting lasted for about 20 minutes, but subsequent standoff with the SWAT team that was deployed to try and stop her lasted more than six hours. So the way that they finally stopped the shooting was a police officer figured out where she was shooting from and drove a garbage truck in between her and the school so that she couldn't continue to target any of the injured or any of the children that were still in the yard running away or anything like that. Now, during the shooting, she had shot a total of 36 bullets, and later they found 200 rounds of unused ammunition in her house. Some people wonder if she was planning on using all of this on the kids. It's possible that she was. It's also possible that she was just had all that ammo and just started shooting and didn't really have a plan. Um, That's a lot of ammunition. Yeah, I mean, 22 ammo is relatively cheap. It's pretty easy to buy large quantities of 22 ammo. They sell it in, like, minimum, like, 50-round packages most of the time. Okay. They sell it up to 1,000 rounds. I've seen buckets of 1,000 rounds of 22 ammo. 200 rounds is certainly a lot, but 22 ammo is, like, super cheap. Okay. So clearly, as you guys can tell, I don't know anything about guns. I know more than I should about guns. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know what? Maybe you do, but it helps for this podcast. It's all come full circle because of this podcast. It, It does come in handy, but, um, now SWAT was given the green light to kill Brenda if they had an opportunity to, and the SWAT team's primary negotiator was Paul Olson. He talked to Brenda on the phone on and off throughout the course of the six-hour-long process of trying to get her out of the house or to kill her or basically to stop her from continuing to be a threat to people. He attempted to convince her to give up her gun and to surrender, and he at one point promises that a Burger King Whopper would be given to her if she came out of the house willingly. Now, That's a a hell of a a negotiation. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) You do what you have to do, and she's not the only one that was promised Burger King. In fact, another shooter was promised Burger King and fucking got it, so... You kidding me? No. Uh, God, who is it? Yeah, Dylan Roof. Cops bought him Burger King after he was calmly arrested. He's the guy that shot up the Mother Emanuel church. The one he went in and basically, like, there was a group of people that were having a Bible study. He sat through the Bible study with them and then shot them all. And police arrested him and then took him to Burger King. I feel like I would promise him Burger King and then just not give it to him. (laughs) I mean, that's white privilege, baby. You're right. I feel like, I think I remember in this case, Brenda never ended up getting her Burger King. Yeah, Brenda did not get her Burger King. But that was the tactic that the negotiator used to try and get her out of the house. I mean, I would probably request Burger King or Chinese food or something that I know I'm really love because I'm going to jail for the rest of my life and I'm never going to get it again. Yeah, that's fair. I guess it is kind of the the way that you can get somebody out is to promise them food, especially, yeah. I mean, after six hours, she's got to be mm-hmm. hungry. Now, throughout the negotiation, Brenda told Olsen, the negotiator, some really awful things. She said that the victims looked like a, quote, herd of cows and that helping the wounded made them, quote, easy pickings. She also told him about how she had once shot a rabbit in the head from 25 yards away. So she's just very calm and very cavalier about the whole situation. She doesn't necessarily seem to have any regret immediately. She's not upset about what she's done. She pretty much is just like, yeah, this is what happened. This is how it was. It was easy for me. 
uh, she didn't seem to have any real feelings about it. She's just a wonderful person calling the kids that she shot at a herd of cows. You know, she just, she's a delight. Yeah, she's a fucking bitch. I'll say that. (laughs) You're goddamn right, she's a bitch. (laughs) Now, at 2.30 p.m., Brenda exited her house after negotiations with SWAT and laid down her 22 rifle as well as a pellet rifle she had and boxes of ammunition. She was then immediately taken into the homicide unit for questioning. When asked why she did it, when on the phone with a reporter immediately after the shooting, she had responded by saying, quote, I just don't like Mondays. I did this because it's a way to cheer up the day. Nobody likes Mondays. I shot a pig, meaning policeman, and I want to shoot more. So, fuck you, Brenda. That's what I'm going to say to that. Nobody likes Mondays. She's right about that. But you know what I do when I don't like Mondays? I drink some coffee. Seriously, yeah. This is disgusting. And, you know, the reporter just happened to be... He looked through the phone book and was calling every house on the street trying to get in touch with somebody to figure out what was going on and get some more information and happened to call her phone and she picked up and gives him this just cold calculated dark fucking statement about i just don't like mondays i mean could you be more just sinister like that's just the most sinister thing right i mean literally nobody likes mondays nobody in the goddamn world likes mondays get in line brenda nobody likes mondays that doesn't mean you go and fucking shoot people god Now, her saying, I don't like Mondays, ended up inspiring the hit single by the same phrase by Irish rock band, The Boomtown Rats. And it was played a lot, apparently, like in the 1980s, which is kind of crazy to me that people would just like celebrate a school shooting in a way by a like by way of a song entitled i don't like mondays i mean there are lots of songs about school shootings they're all very fucked up but some of them you don't even necessarily realize that they're a song about shooting right like this one but yeah i mean i don't like mondays you've also got like you know another one bites the dust you've got pumped up kicks teenagers my chemical romance i mean there's quite a few that i can name just off the top of my Mm. head that's fucked up It's just also fucked up that there are so many school shootings that, like, bands have the opportunity to write, like, multitudes of songs about them. Definitely. And I think it kind of speaks to the way that school shootings have become this, like, societal phenomenon. People have to talk about what's happening in the world through art. That's why we make art is to process the world and to explain it and to live it and also to create more of it. And... It just, yeah, I think it speaks to the fact that there are just way too many fucking people that die to gun violence in the United States. Right. I completely agree. Now, Brenda's defense attorney had argued that she had come from a broken home and that her father was abusive. He also argued that she struggled with drugs. He also claims that she was under the influence of alcohol and PCP, but that the police had hidden the toxicology report. Police said that there were whiskey and beer bottles around her, but that the reports didn't show that Spencer was intoxicated at the time of the shooting. Now, 
one thing that's important to note here is that the alcohol could have potentially worked its way out of her system by the time they took the samples. She obviously wasn't arrested until six hours after the shootings. She had that entire time with the standoff between her and police to let the alcohol work its way out of her system if she was drunk at the time of the shootings. Six hours after the shootings, the time it took for the shootings, and we don't know exactly how long after she drank that the shootings began also. So it's a long time. Right. And not only that, but I mean, Brenda's tiny. She's like 90 pounds. So basically, it's entirely possible that she could have been drunk at the time of the shootings off of a very small amount of alcohol that then worked its way out of her body very quickly. She's tiny and she's on epilepsy medication, which when you're on any kind of medication like that, like epilepsy medication, it takes like half of what it normally takes to get you drunk. Right. So it, it could have very potentially been a very, very small amount of alcohol. Now, the epilepsy meds that she was on have certain side effects. So Even not combined with alcohol, these epilepsy meds can cause an increased risk in suicidal thoughts or behavior, feelings of irritability, behavioral changes, trouble concentrating, a sense of detachment from the self and body. And when combined with alcohol, they can cause dizziness, drowsiness, and difficulty concentrating. They may also cause impairments in thinking and judgment. So basically, she may not have been in her right mind or sober at the time of the shooting by any stretch of the imagination, even if she wasn't drinking, but especially if she was drinking anything at all. Right. I think that just in general, like a general rule is if you're drinking and you're taking any kind of medication, you just need to be really careful. (laughs) Drink half of what you normally would and be safe and be around other people. Right. And, I mean, she was alone. It was first thing in the morning. It's a Monday morning. Clearly, the meds that she's on can cause certain impairment. And then if she was drinking, even further impairment. That's not in any way an excuse for what happened. I think it's just letting you know kind of where her head was at when this occurred. Right, exactly. Like Katie said, it's not an excuse. It's just a discussion. Now, Jonathan Fast, a psychologist who kind of studied Brenda's case thought that she suffered from a type of epilepsy that is two to four times more common in violent offenders than the general population. He believes that it was the effects of her brain injuries and abuse that pushed her to do what she did. He says that she felt shame, ridicule, inferiority, and powerlessness, and basically those emotions are what drove her to shoot the school. But, okay, here's my thing. Just feeling those emotions I don't think are reason enough to shoot an elementary school with, like, six to ten-year-olds. Definitely not. I mean, I think that there's a difference to me between saying this is the stuff that a person went through, this is the stuff that they were feeling, and saying... And that explains why they did what they did. I think that no matter what, you can endure a whole lot of things. You can have horrible shit happen to you. Everybody has horrible shit happen to them. And some people have more or less. But those traumas and experiences that we go through don't make you a killer. You decide to kill people and that makes you a killer. And Brenda decided to kill people and that's what made her a killer. Exactly. Exactly. Now... 
this type of epilepsy that Jonathan Fast is claiming that Brenda suffered from, we tried to find more information on it, but we really couldn't. All we could find was like different peer-reviewed articles about like how like epilepsy medication might make some people more violent like specific types of epilepsy medications that might make some people more violent but none of those epilepsy medications that have been even studied were the type of medication that brenda was even on so that's all the information that we could find but couldn't find any more information about what he said here about her suffering from a type of epilepsy two to four times more common in violent offenders now brenda was tried as an adult And in 1980, she pleaded guilty to two counts of murder. And because of her plea deal, nine counts of attempted murder on the injured kids and police officer were dismissed. She was sentenced to two terms of 25 years to life in prison to be served concurrently. In a later 2001 hearing, which is about 21 years after her sentencing, Brenda claimed that she was both sexually and physically abused by her dad, Wallace Spencer. Now, these accusations were never fully confirmed because he denied all of them. That's the only reason that they were never fully confirmed, do you want to say it? But obviously, abusers are always going to deny the fact that they abused the person who's accusing them. So... Right. If that's the only reason that they can't substantiate it, I don't know. Right, and there is some corroborating evidence. I mean, it does seem like it's pretty possible, if not likely, that he did abuse her, both physically and sexually. Again, I don't think of this as an explanation. I think of this as a horrible thing that happened to her, but she still chose to kill people. Right, I agree. So she basically said that Her dad forced her to share his bed with him until she was 14 years old. Her parents were divorced when she was younger, and she lived with her dad, so that's why she had to share his bed until she was 14 years old. But that's disgusting. Absolutely not okay. Yeah, 100%. That's vile. Yeah, and like we said, her father denied this. But something that leads me to think that that's probably kind of accurate is that while she was in jail awaiting her sentencing like in a juvenile detention center he met her 17 year old cellmate while he was visiting her and he started dating and then later married her 17 year old cellmate and then they later got divorced but that's disgusting that's her father Yeah, that's horrifying. And I think that that kind of speaks to, like, a pattern of him potentially being someone who was abusive, who was, you know, a pedophile, who, yeah, just fucking gross. Yeah, like, ugh. And, like, I don't care if the legal age is 16 or 17. I don't care. Like, Like, the age gap should never be enough that she could literally be your daughter. Literally. Ugh, so gross. Now, Brenda's mother thinks that her dad is kind of responsible, which Katie and I both agree he kind of is in a way. Obviously, he really fucked Brenda up. And like Katie said, like, it's her choice. No matter how much trauma you have in your past, 
what you decide to do after that and like who you decide to become from it, that's your choice to make. But he does hold some of the blame for like what he did to Brenda and like who he made her. Right. Now, things to note about Brenda. She had damage to her temporal lobe from a fall off of her bike and she grew up in poverty. The like claim that they shared a bed they did. They slept on a single mattress that was on the living room floor, possibly because that was all that they could afford, possibly because her dad's a fucking gross pedophile, possibly some combination therein. Now, she at one point went to a facility for problem students because she had been truant so often, and they told her parents that she was suicidal. She had a psych evaluation in December of the year before the shootings happened, and they recommended that she should be admitted to a mental hospital, but her dad refused to get permission for her to go to that mental hospital. And she was recommended to go to a mental hospital because they said that she could be a danger to both herself and others. I think it's important to note there. Right, yeah. Now, Brenda claims that she asked for a radio for Christmas and that her dad instead gave her a gun. When the police asked her about why she thought that he had given her a gun, she said, I felt like he wanted me to kill myself. One of her classmates, Jolene Davis, said she was always talking about her father, how mean he was. That and the gun was pretty much all she talked about. So basically, it's pretty clear that Brenda's not doing well and her dad is clearly abusive, if not sexually then certainly in the fact that when she had a psych evaluation done they recommended that she be admitted to a mental hospital instead of doing that he fucking bought her a gun right and then she's taking that to me that he wants her to kill herself which is i don't know like i can't imagine being 16 and thinking that your father thinks that about you so fucking dark so she's now 58 years old she's serving her sentence at a california institution for women in corona and she has been denied parole five times. Now, she's eligible for another parole hearing in 2021, and now we're kind of just going to talk about some of the parole hearings and some of the things that have gone on since the trial initially and the shooting itself. Yeah, so we're going to start by doing something we've never done on the podcast. We're going to do a table read. So we're going to start by talking about a parole hearing in 2009, and we're going to do a table read between the head parole commissioner and Brenda Spencer. So I'm going to be the head parole commissioner, and Katie's going to be Brenda. So yeah, I guess we'll start. Why did you commit this crime? Because I wanted to die. I was trying to commit suicide. Why pick the school across the street? Because I knew that if I fired on the school, the police would show up and they would shoot me and kill me. And every time I had tried suicide in the previous year, I had screwed it up. Why did you have to shoot the people at the school? I wasn't specifically aiming at people. I was shooting into the parking lot. Well, that's pretty good shooting to hit as many folks as you did if you're not trying to hit anybody from across the street. I don't remember aiming at anybody. Do you remember them taking cover? Vaguely. And then the head parole commissioner brings up police officers arriving on scene. You hit one of those fellows too? Uh Uh-huh. You put your gun down. You didn't follow through with your plan. No, I had gotten scared. They made me numb, so I didn't feel anything. She was referring to the drugs and alcohol that she claimed to be under the influence of. Did you hear lots of kids laughing and doing their thing? Yes. 
Did that upset you? No. It didn't upset you that they seemed to have happier lives? No, I was just set on committing suicide. I am sorry that you had to go everything you went through, but what I'm trying to do is find out why you would open fire and kill two people and hurt so many others. You indicate you weren't really trying to hit anybody, but you did a heck of a job killing a lot of people. The only thing I was concentrating on was getting the police there so that they could shoot me. Well, you could have shot out one window of the school and the police would have come. I didn't think of that. You didn't have any anger at the children? No. You weren't trying to hit anybody? Not that I remember. Do you recall saying you had fired on the schoolyard because you didn't like Mondays? I might have said that. It would have been the drugs and the alcohol talking. You told the police negotiator, quote, It was fun to watch the children that had red and blue ski jackets on as they made perfect targets, and that you liked to watch them squirm around after they had been shot. It's entirely possible I said that. Do you have any idea why you'd go out of your way to harm so many innocent people? I didn't consider that other people would get hurt. I didn't think it all the way through. Several children were injured by gunshot wounds. The principal of the elementary school, Burton Rag, age 53, had gone to the aid of the students and was subsequently shot himself. Michael Sukar, age 56, school custodian, went to the aid of Mr. Rag and was also shot. Uh-huh. You're shooting people as they come to the aid of others. You're shooting these people as they become targets. And yet you told me that you didn't intend to hit anyone? No. Are you pretty good with a rifle? I don't know, I guess. Did any adults see danger signs before the shooting? A month before I was arrested, my high school counselor took me to see a psychiatrist. They recommended me to be hospitalized as a danger to myself and to others. My dad told them that nothing was wrong with me and everything was fine and to leave us alone. Okay, so that's the end of the table read. Let us know if you guys enjoyed those. We can do more of those. And if you guys hate them, we won't do any more of them. <laughs> That's kind of the interview between the head parole commissioner and Brenda. But after this interview between them, the parole hearing continued in 2009, like that same parole hearing. And the DA brought up some of Brenda's other comments to the negotiator that she had made, including the one in which she had complained about the custodian making it difficult for her to shoot the kids. The DA also showed that blood and urine samples had been taken from Brenda after her arrest and that they were clean. So the DA argued that no drugs or alcohol were responsible for her saying that she, quote, just didn't like Mondays like she had claimed in that table read that we just went through. Right. I think it's important to note that just because Brenda says these things doesn't necessarily mean that they're true. Right. And obviously she wants to make herself look sympathetic. She admits to what she did, but she wants to get out, you know? But like we said earlier, it's possible that the alcohol was out of her system by the time they took the test, but it's also possible that she was lying. Like, there are two sides and either of them could be true, but the science and the evidence does show that there was no drugs or alcohol in her system. Right. Now, Brenda's defense argued that it's possible that testing could have failed to detect intoxication intoxicants in Brenda. He also said that while Brenda's father had not admitted to sexually abusing her, he did marry her cellmate, and that basically kind of gives credence to her claims. 
Now, um, the girl did resemble Brenda and was a year younger than her, so it shows kind of a possible pattern that he's a gross-ass fucking pedophile. Right. It's so gross that, like, her cellmate looked like Brenda. Ew. Yeah, it's, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. We're continuing with this parole hearing, this 2009 parole hearing, but victim impact statements were also read during this parole hearing. So, one victim's son said, quote, My question is, will there be another boring Monday for her? Which really cuts deep, I think. And it's a great question, like, if there's another boring Monday for her, what else is she gonna fucking do, you know? Well, and, I mean, that's the thing, I think. Brenda now seems to have kind of mellowed out, changed her tune, I don't know how you want to put it, but she's kind of basically trying to make herself look sympathetic. And it's important to remember that she said some really fucking chilling shit about the shooting, about the kids, about what happened that day. She didn't seem to have any remorse in the moment and just was cavalierly taking lives for no good reason. So it kind of makes you question, would this ever happen again if she were let out? And there's no way to guarantee that it wouldn't. Right, exactly. That's kind of the scary thing about this. Now, one man whose two daughters went to the school said, quote, the phone call from the neighbor who had who said there had been a shooting at Cleveland, the frustration of not being able to get near the school because the incident was still going on, the terror in my wife's eyes, her screams of anguish at not knowing whether our girls were involved, the phone call from the hospital telling us that one of them had been wounded, looking at the bullet hole in her right elbow and the bullet burnt on the inside of each thigh where a bullet had passed between her legs. So this guy, one of his daughters had been shot, but thankfully she survived. Now, his other daughter that had gone to the school had fucking avoided being shot because of a notebook that had a pouch of pens that had somehow managed to stop the bullet. Now, this kind of harkens back to what um, Katie was talking about earlier in the episode about how, like, it's a good thing that she didn't use a higher round because, like, the twenty two caliber is a really small round, so, like, it's not, like, it's not gonna do, like, as much damage. We don't know if, like, a higher round would have been able to get through that notebook, but, like, a fucking notebook stopped her from getting shot and potentially getting killed. It's incredible, like that right. luck. Right. I mean, the reality is pretty much any round that's bigger than a 22 is going to have way more velocity behind it. It's going to move faster. It's going to be stronger. It's going to be a bigger bullet. So I can't guarantee for a fact that if it were a bigger round, the little girl would have been shot. But I can say it's pretty likely that any round other than a 22 would have certainly done more damage and probably gone through the notebook. Wow. So, like, super, super lucky. Now, the 2009 parole hearing concluded by stating that Brenda was telling a series of lies and that she wasn't granted parole. I think that there's definitely some truth to that in terms of, you know, there's not forensic evidence to show that she was inebriated at the time of the shooting. 
she said some pretty contradictory shit. She's like, it's possible that I said those things, but then she's not necessarily admitting to it. She's saying that that's the drugs and alcohol talking. She's saying that she's not aiming at anybody, that she didn't mean to shoot anybody. She was trying to kill herself, which she may have been trying to kill herself, but it's pretty clear that she certainly was not aiming away from anyone. You don't shoot eight kids and kill two adults and injure another adult without meaning to. And you don't go and brag about shooting a police officer and then talk about how the custodian was in your way so you had to shoot him. Right. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that she... It was intentional. And then she went and bragged to the negotiator about how she was able to shoot a rabbit from, like, 25 yards away. So she was bragging about what a good shot she was. Yeah, she's very clearly not telling the truth at the 2009 hearing. Now, at a parole hearing in 2016, she again claimed that she wasn't trying to kill anybody and was simply shooting. She cried a lot at that particular hearing. At every parole hearing, Burton Rag, the principal, his widow and daughter, have made it clear that they do not want Brenda to be released. They think that she's still dangerous. They have now both passed away, but he does have two sons that are surviving him. Daryl Barnes, a teacher at Cleveland Elementary School, was shot by Brenda, or sorry, but was shot at by Brenda, but all of the shots missed him as he was trying to, like, get children inside and carry kids and, you know. One horrific fact is that 22 years later, his own son, who had become a teacher as well, was also in a school shooting. His son was a teacher at Granite Hill High School, and he was targeted by the shooter Jason Hoffman. And the shooter attempted to shoot him, but he missed, just like Brenda had missed when she was trying to shoot Daryl, his dad. I don't know if that speaks to, like, good luck in the family, or if that speaks to bad luck in the family, or if that speaks to just how fucked America is because of how many school shootings there are, or if it's just all three. I think the biggest takeaway to me is America has a problem with school shootings. And I think no matter what, you can't really get around that fact when it comes to no other country has anywhere near the number of school shootings that we do. No other country has anywhere near the number of casualties to gun violence that we do. And I mean, how often do you turn on the news and there's another one? So I just think that to me, that's the main takeaway. And obviously that's super fucking tragic for their family to have been involved in both of those. Lucky that they survived, but just something needs to change, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely needs to change. So as for survivors and if they think that Brenda should be left out, should be let out, most of them think that she shouldn't. Survivor Christy Buell was shot multiple times by Brenda and had to spend 42 days in the hospital and needed two surgeries. This part really gets me because according to her account, she was pretending to be ice skating on the grass with her friends when she was shot by Brenda, which is just like the most innocent childlike thing ever to be doing before school starts, you know? And then it's like brutality like, the most brutal thing in the world, and her life just was fucking changed forever, and I cannot imagine the trauma that she went through, and just the psychological trauma that she went through, and, like, probably never enjoyed waiting for school to fucking start again. 
yeah uh, when I heard that I just thought like god so that's so young you're so young and innocent and she was playing in the field you know out in front of her school and Brenda decided to start shooting and you know she nearly nearly died I mean spending 42 days in the hospital is not by any stretch of the imagination a light hospital stay that's a long 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 hospital stay like fuck and like when you're that young you still think that there's nothing bad in the world really if you're still at the point where you can pretend to be ice skating on the grass and you can use your imagination like that you still think that there's like not very many bad things in the world and if there are none of them are like gonna get you like unless it's like the fucking boogeyman under your bed or in your closet right now of course obviously christy opposes brenda's release which i don't blame her for but survivor mary rintel has a different opinion because as someone who has worked in psychiatry for 15 years she blames the abuse brenda suffered as the reason for this shooting now do i believe that the abuse that she suffered from is a factor that led to the shooting yes but i also believe that it was her decision at the end right i mean there are lots of ways to commit suicide and shooting at a school is a very um unconventional one and i'm not gonna say like she should have done something else i'm just gonna say it was ultimately 100 percent her decision what she did and there's no excuse for shooting at little kids Right. In a 2015 letter that she wrote to her defense attorney, she thanked him from his work and said, quote, what I did was horrible, so I don't really complain about the amount of time I've done, end quote. Her former defense attorney states that he does not perceive her as a danger today. Personally, I find this kind of contradictory because this is in 2015 that she wrote this letter, but in 2016, She said that she wasn't trying to kill anybody, but was simply shooting. So as for the question of remorse, she still can't admit that she was attempting to shoot them. You know, so can you be reformed if you can't even admit what you did? I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a difference between it, because obviously she admits she did shoot them. So I can understand saying, like, I did this and what I did was really fucked up. And here may be some of the reasons that contributed to me doing this. And, you know, I didn't think through my actions and perhaps didn't understand the ramifications and, you know, whatever. But to say, like, I wasn't aiming at anyone, that's pretty unbelievable to me. As someone who shoots or has has shot guns, you know, it takes concentration and effort. And especially if you're shooting something that's moving around... It's not easy to hit a moving target. It is much easier to not hit people than it is to hit people. Um, not that I've ever aimed at people, but it's it's much easier to not hit something than to hit something. 36 rounds, she injures eight people and kills, or sorry, injures nine and kills two. I To me, it, you, there's no way that you're not aiming. It's just not believable. And it's just a, it's a so it's a blatant lie. So then I you have to ask like, Is it possible for her to be reformed if she can't even admit what her intentions were? I don't know. I really, I genuinely am unsure what to think about reform in prison because I think that there's a very big difference between murdering somebody 
and carrying drugs in your pocket, you know? I think that when it comes to, like, drug offenses, I can completely understand where it's like, they shouldn't be in prison forever, they shouldn't be in prison for a long time, they should I mean, get... I don't think they should be in prison at all for Right, drugs. I was gonna say, <laughs> they, should, they should get, you know, maybe some addiction counseling and, you know, things like that, depending on what drug it is, but, like, you know, I don't think that that's something that is a jailable offense, right? I feel like reform for nonviolent crimes even is kind of impossible within the American or even Canadian prison system because, especially the American prison system, because, like, there's nothing, like, there's no opportunities really for reform. Just the way it's set up. It's just set up to send you to, like, it's just set up to punish you. And then when you leave, you have no opportunities. Like, they're not really trying to reform you. They're just trying to punish you and then be like, fuck you, now you're out. And you're going to have no way to live, so you're just going to commit more crimes. Right. And I think that's that's kind of what I'm saying is you're not in a system that's meant to reform you. But then when it comes to, like, murder, it's like, well, what does reform look like? I mean, not killing somebody again. Most murderers really actually don't go on to kill another person, with the exception of serial killers. And is that because we jail them? Is that because of whatever? Who knows? But... Right. What does reform look like? What does reform mean? How do you measure that? How do you guarantee that they'll never kill anybody? How do you know the difference between a serial killer and a one-time offender? Like, without them having committed more than one murder? And, like, who's a danger to society and who's not? I don't... I don't know that that's decisions that I'm certainly qualified to make, but I don't know that those are decisions that really anybody's qualified to make. And then, you know, how do you say, okay, well, now... You just don't get to go back into society. You don't get to have a life anymore. I, it just, it gets really complicated, in my opinion. I don't think that there's an easy answer by any means. I don't think so either. But I don't think that the current prison system in America is working because I think that humans do deserve, like, basic rights. They deserve to have, like, a certain quality of life. Especially if they're in there for nonviolent crimes. I don't think the people in there for drug offenses or stealing or anything like that should be in there suffering the way that they are yeah i agree i agree completely so going back to brenda she has since said that she feels what she did served as a blueprint for school shootings at columbine sandy hook and stoneman douglas high school so you know she feels pretty responsible for a lot of things yeah and i think that to a certain extent that's true this is So, a lot of people say that, like, this was the first school shooting in the United States. It's not really. There were quite a few going decades back prior to this that happened. There were even some that had quite a few people who were injured or killed. Some of them only had a few, maybe one or two. But this is one of the first ones that gets, like, widespread media attention. And I think it comes from some of the things that Brenda says, right? Like, talking directly to a reporter saying, I don't like Mondays is why she killed people. Obviously, people are going to be fascinated by that and talk about that and put that all over the news. I think it's that. I think it's the fact that it's an elementary school. Because a lot of the other previous shootings had been at, like, a lot of universities and colleges. Right. And, like, not targeting, like, little little kids right and most of them were also like specifically targeting one or two people most of them were like somebody had a vendetta against you know a professor or 
another student or whatever, but it was never really a situation where like, well, I guess I shouldn't say never. There were some shootings where there were more victims than just a couple, but this is kind of one of the first and certainly one of the first that had widespread media attention like it did. Right. Now, while this isn't really the first school shooting, there is something unique about it in that Brenda Spencer is one of the only female school shooters. Most school shooters are male. Almost all school shooters are male. And almost all school shooters are also white. Brenda's white, but she's obviously a woman, so that's unique. It's just kind of a weird situation, I think, with Brenda. I think with a lot of the other school shooters, they have kind of a radicalization element. There's, you know, like with Columbine, kind of like potential Nazi ties, a lot of hatred. With Brenda, you don't necessarily see that. Her reasons for shooting are very different, I think, than a lot of people's. Yeah. Maybe a little more sympathetic. If you're looking at it from like, well, she was abused, you can say, well, okay, Mm -hmm. that might be why. But obviously, this is still her decision and still super fucked up, and she still killed two people and injured nine more. I totally Uh, agree. Like, Columbine definitely not sympathetic at all (laughs) just two super privileged white boys right and i mean most shooting school shooting scenarios are kind of like that it's not like they have an element of like radicalization these people are people who hate other people and i don't know that brenda did this out of malice obviously that doesn't make it any better it just it's different you know Mm -hmm. In 1983, Cleveland Elementary School was closed because of declining enrollment. I think that totally makes sense. In 2005, the same, like, school building was established as a charter school, but that school was put up for sale in 2015. The school had been in a deficit. The district was paying $116,000 a year to keep the school grounds up and open, and the school itself was only bringing in about $61,000 a year. We could get into why that's fucked up, but I don't feel like talking about the American school system right now. We're kind of (laughs) on a whole other tangent about how America's bad about shootings. But basically, the gist is the school is now been sold and was taken down. There's housing that was rebuilt on the site instead of a school. Now, a memorial was built shortly after the shooting. It's at the corner of the street leading to where the school used to be, and it's in honor of Michael Sukar and Burton Rag, who both died there. The memorial was paid for by community members. Yeah, so the memorial is there, but immediately after the shooting, they also put up a like a flag in honor of the of the two members of the faculty that had been unfortunately murdered. Right. And I think, I mean, clearly these were two very passionate men who cared a lot about their students. And it's just really a tragedy that Brenda was, I guess, that Brenda decided to start shooting that day. I mean, it's just so fucked up. It it really is. And I feel like this case really shows, like, what teachers have done, like, what faculty members at schools do for kids because, like... And, like, how much they care about them because, like, most of the accounts I've read from teachers about this case say that they all went out into the shooting risking their lives to, like, usher kids into the school. They just did whatever they could to get the kids safe. And these two that died, they were fucking heroes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolute heroes. And just, I think every school shooting you hear about the teachers who were 
doing everything that they could to save their students and to protect their students. There's always at least one that, you know, ends up laying their life down. And it's like, I think that right there is the reason that we have to stop this, is teaching shouldn't be a profession where you feel like you have to put your life on the line for your students. Like, teachers deal with enough shit and have a hard enough job anyway without having to worry about somebody coming in and shooting them for doing their job. Yeah, teachers are a blessing. Like, I really think teachers, this is a whole other conversation, but teachers deserve a whole lot more than they get. You're absolutely right. But yeah, I guess I guess that's the case of Brenda Spencer. We hope you guys enjoyed that one. Hopefully mm-hmm. you learned something about the case that you didn't necessarily know before. And yeah, just give us some case suggestions and let us know what you guys would like to hear next. We will see you guys for our episode next week. Wednesday. I'm very, very excited for it. It's one that I've wanted to do before I even, like, this is one that, it's one that I've just always loved. So I'm super excited for our episode next Wednesday. All our sources for the episode, as well as our social medias, will be linked in our show notes as always. So make sure you go click on those. But if you liked this episode, make sure you share it with anybody else who you think might enjoy it. Give us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you can, because those really help us out a lot. Follow us on Instagram at Fatal Tales, on Twitter at Fatal Tales Pod. Send us any case suggestions at fataltales at gmail.com. And yeah, remember guys, be gay and don't do crimes. Or at least don't get caught. <laughs> but if you're going to do crimes, don't do these ones. Please Please don't fucking do this. Please. No. No. Please don't. Okay. Have a good one, guys.